Gracious God, what a joyous day today when we celebrate and give thanks for your faithfulness to your word, which endures forever. Lord, as we uh, come and approach your word here in Hebrews 4, we pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to the rest that we have in our Lord Jesus. Help us to rest in him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so rest is the theme of the day as we turn to Hebrews chapter 4. And I want to start with this question, why do Americans have such a hard time resting from work? This is a phenomenon that many people have, have started to draw our attention to. This even predates the pandemic. But um, one statistic I found, 55% of Americans don't use all their paid time off. Don't use it. We've got it. More than half of Americans don't use it. And more than a quarter of PTO went unused in 2018, up from a little bit less than that in 2017. Everything I've read and heard is that the pandemic has only made this worse, especially for folks who work remotely, because there's even more of this sense like, hey, I, I could be working all the time. How can I take a day off? And I came across this uh, quote from a guy named Samuel Pollan. This gave me a laugh. European out-of-office notices. I'm away camping for the summer. Email again in September. American out of offices. I have left the office for two hours to undergo kidney surgery, but you can reach me on my cell anytime. <laughs> so what's the deal? Why do Americans have such a hard time resting from work? What do you think? Yeah, Esther. It's a source of uh, their identity. Okay, it's a source of their identity. And so they're, you know, they, they hesitate to leave it aside even for a little bit. Yeah, that's really good. Leftover the Protestant work ethic. Okay, leftover residual Protestant work ethic, which uh, the sociologist Max Weber diagnosed, especially coming from the, the Calvinistic Puritans, but it, it's still there very much in our American DNA. Yeah, Court. When I was at Ford, it was cheaper for them to, hire, to have us work overtime than hire another employee. Oh. So for all the time I was there, it was 10 hours. Yeah, for all the time you're there, it was 10 hours a day. And Rick Jones isn't here, but Rick will tell you, Rick managed to work for a 40-year career in about 20 years. I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not by much. Maybe, Bill, you know what it is. I mean, yeah. he retired from, was it Ford or was it? No, GM. From GM Pontiac, um, before Pontiac. he was 50, having put in. Just, but, you know, now he can work all the time for the church. So we're glad that he was able to get his retirement. Any other thoughts? Why? Yeah, Christine. Maybe a little bit of narcissism that if I'm not at work, the whole place is going to fall apart. A little bit of narcissism. If I'm not at work, the whole place is going to fall apart. Pastors don't ever feel this. <laughs> <laughs> I just, we have more Yours of is a call of duty, not narcissism. Oh, okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, George. Uh, yeah, some uh, small businesses and like Dennis. Yeah. And um, you... It's just you. If it isn't you, you close the door. Yeah, if you're not, if you're not working, you're closing the doors. In okay. um, uh, a novel from, from my old friend, Wendell Berry, who will come up later in this as well, in his novel, Jaber Crow. Jaber Crow is a, a barber, and he has his sign on the door, that, you know, the one that says back, you know, back at 8.30 or whatever. And he said, it doesn't have an a.m. or a p.m. And so if, you know, a.m. comes and I'm still not ready, I'll just let it go. I'll, they can say, I'll be back at 8.30 p.m. I don't, I'm not ready then. I'll just come the next day. <laughs> that's one way to approach it. But more often than not, that's, that's not the case, Papa Junior. Well, I know when we lived in the Philippines, they had wonderful weather and three growing seasons. <laughs> and so every day was a relaxed day. They worked, yep. but they 
they worked at a pace that said I have all year long to sure. do what I need to do. They worked at a leisurely pace. We have winter. We have winter. winter comes <laughs> death, and if you don't have what you need, I mean, it's a long. Yeah. It, it's generation. Sure, it's generational. You work while the while the sun lets you work. You instill those habits. Yep. Make hay while the sun shines. Yeah, Ruta. We worked with Habitat for Humanity in El Salvador one week, and their the whole culture was completely different. Mm -hmm. In the middle of the morning, we take a 15-minute break. We had an hour and a half for lunch. Mm -hmm. We take another little break in the afternoon, and we quit about four o'clock and had social time or sports or something. Right. We got so much done, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> it was like. What? No. Yeah, we built several houses and laid sidewalks and, and yeah. septic tanks. And it's it's counterintuitive, but yes. that's being restful. I mean, we all hear about the Europeans and their siestas. And I, we've got a quorum here. Can we just vote all in favor of siestas? Say aye. <laughs> aye. Yeah. I, rather than just keep throwing back the Red Bulls and the pop energy drinks and all this stuff. Sometimes if you work for a large corporation. Yeah. And you take off, to, you know, all of your allowed time. Mm -hmm. Somebody else will creep in and take your job. Right. Uh, so you just don't want to. It's the Lou Gehrig effect, right? Pardon me. It's the Lou Gehrig effect. Yeah. What's I forget what the guy's name is, but you know, Lou, the the first baseman for the Yankees who took right. a day off, yeah. and then Lou Gehrig came in and didn't miss a game for two thousand one hundred and thirty. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Be careful. You might be that guy losing your job. Tom Brady, exactly the same thing. That's right. Yeah. Drew Bledsoe. Anybody remember him? Yeah. Tom Brady took his job. Yeah. Well, okay, one more. Go ahead. Self-reliance. Self-reliance, right? We, I've, I've got to do it. And uh, I think we, we have to stress, like, none of these things are bad in themselves, right? Self-reliance is good. We do derive a sense of our identity and our purpose from our work. Um, we want to be good workers and... Uh, following the call of duty for our employers, et cetera, et cetera. But um, that's the law, right? And to go back to, harken back to the, the message today, if all you have is that message of, of the law, of go, 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 do, 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 without the gospel of rest, you're going to burn yourself out. And that's, I mean, a common theme in our contemporary culture is the burnout society. We're going to look at Hebrews 4 and look into this theme of God's rest and how it's ours now in Christ even as we are looking forward to the fulfillment of that rest when he comes again. As we dig in, I want to say just a couple of opening thoughts about rest and God's promised rest. So if you got your hand out there, under where it says those words, God's promised rest, I want to just say right from the get-go that God has created humanity for a rhythm of rest and work. He's made us for this rhythm of rest and work. And this was drawn to my attention a, a few years back and really just blew my mind. In Genesis chapter 1, the creation account, you have God creating each and every day, calling it forth into being. But notice this. It's here in one, Genesis 1, 5, but it, it's true for the other days as well. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now, according to Genesis 1, when does a day start? In the evening, in the evening. Now, we could have maybe pieced this together when, from what you know about um, Jewish um, Sabbath practices and that it's the Friday night when you have the Sabbath meal and so forth. But think about this. The day starts with evening, with now I lay me down to sleep. How does that change your perspective on a day versus, to the contrary, a day starts with me getting up in the morning 
and an author uh, by the name of Oliver Berkman, he says that we have this, this notion in our society that we wake up already with a productivity debt, right? You wake up in the morning, you're already in debt productively, and so it's like, I got to get up, I better get after it right away, otherwise the, the day's going to be lost, right? Slipping through my fingers. From this biblical perspective, a day starts with you doing nothing, with you sleeping, with you resting. And it harkens back in my mind also to those words in Psalm 127. Um, well, go ahead and look there. I think it's, it's so significant, it's worth looking at on the page. Psalm 127. Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And these words, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Gives to his beloved sleep. Now, for those who have struggled with insomnia, this word comes as a, a kind of taunt. My college roommate was this way. He'd hear that. He gives to his beloved sleep, so does he not love me? Of course, that's not, not the case. But it's also true that this um, verse can be otherwise translated. He gives to his beloved while they are sleeping. While they are sleeping. We see this in the Old Testament with, um, famously with Adam, of course. God takes the rib out of him and creates Eve while he was sleeping. That'd be a good name for a rom-com, right? could be about Adam and Eve while you were sleeping. Oh. Wasn't that a movie? While you were sleeping. Yeah. Ooh, all right, tough crowd. Right? What can I say? <laughs> um, Abraham also in Genesis, when God's cutting that covenant with Abraham, Abraham falls asleep, and then God does his greatest work. God works while we are sleeping. That's the way that the day truly starts. That changes your perspective a little bit, doesn't it? That we are living out of rest rather than living out of toil. Very different perspective. So, oh, just any reflections or, or thoughts about that? Yeah, Bob. Actually, in saying that, because I know that when I wake up in the morning, I have a long laundry list. Right. And I still have this notion the buck falls with me. Right. Whether I was a missionary or a pastor or a district president, yep. like there was no God in the universe. Right, exactly. And so, really... Working out of rest is really working out of faith. Yes. That someone's way ahead of me, and I'm just in his rhythm now. Yep. But that's not how I do it. No, it, it's, it does not come naturally to our, our human nature, especially that sense that it's going to live by the law. But instead, it is. It's living to, to live out of rest is to live out of grace and by faith, to recognize all that needs doing already is done. And now God has graciously invited you and me, as Jesus says, to enter into his labor. To enter into his labor. He goes before you and me, invites us to enter into his labor. Yeah, Ruth. often wake up with answers to a problem that I didn't That's know. true too, right? It's just you wake up and... You wake up, yep. It's like know, a little gift. You wake up, there's answers to your problems. Yeah. Those are my favorite sermons. I wake up in the morning, you know, I'm getting the crusties out of my eyes. It's like, oh, good. That's why I always keep my field notes, my little notebook. You never know when God's going to drop it in your lap. While I was sleeping. And Sabbath rest reflects the persons and the works of the Trinity. We don't have time to go into all these texts. I encourage you to look at them later, though. The Father's gift of creation. So Sabbath is rooted in the fact that God created and on, you know, in six days and on the seventh day he rested. 
but it's also Sabbath rest is rooted in the son's gift of redemption. So in Deuteronomy 5, of course, it does not speak explicitly of, of Christ, but it does speak of how it says you should take a Sabbath rest because God brought you out of slavery, out, out of that, and now you can rest. And so there it roots Sabbath in redemption. And then finally, in the Spirit's gift of sanctification, in Exodus 31, it says you shall keep the Sabbath, do no work on the Sabbath, for I, the Lord your God, sanctify you. And so Sabbath has this kind of Trinitarian underpinning to it as well. We are immersed in and encompassed about by the gracious work of God so that you and I can simply lean into and rest in his finished work. This is basically what the preacher wants to say in, in Hebrews 4, that we are invited to rest into the finished work of God. So go ahead and turn to, to Hebrews 4, if you haven't already. And let's dig in. Um, I'll read first uh, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. All right, number one under that section. On the sojourn of faith, leave no man behind. On the sojourn of faith, leave no man behind. The preacher starts this section with this admonition, this exhortation. While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let's, let us fear. He's speaking to the church, the congregation corporately, <coughs> lest any of y'all should seem to have failed to reach it. Now the word there for failed to reach is this Greek word, hystereo. Hystereo. It's the same word that was in our epistle reading today. For all have sinned and have hysteretoed the, of the glory of God. To fall short of. This is from uh, the Greek dictionary. It says, to be left behind in the race and so fail to reach the goal. To fall short of the end. Now I find this really interesting because what the preacher is saying is this is not just an individual responsibility, but a corporate responsibility for the whole body of Christ to enter into God's rest. That you and I, as fellow believers, we need to look out for each other to see who's the slowest hiker so that we don't leave him behind, right? To make sure that everyone's accounted for. This very much jives with the idea of Christ as our good shepherd, who goes after the one who's lost, right? But the same word is also used in, in 1 Corinthians 12, which also ties into this, this notion of the body of Christ. God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, you can underline lacked it, that's your hystereo there, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And so the summons, the call for us is we're on this journey of faith. Don't leave any behind, right? to continue to look after each other, to encourage one another. That was the, the theme last week, right? To encourage one another so long as it, is, as it is called today so that nobody fails to reach and enter into that ultimate rest. What are some of the things that cause someone 
to fall off. If you picture the, the church, the body of Christ, as together, as a body of believers, we're on the journey to the promised land of the kingdom of God. If some people are, are drifting off, falling away, what are some of the reasons that that happens? What are some of the, the sources for that failing to, to reach out? Doubt. Okay, doubt. So maybe they had a, a doubt, a little doubt, and that doubt took seed and it continued to grow, causes them to fall off. Yeah. All the busyness and cares of this world. All the busyness and cares of this world. I mean, how many of Jesus' parables and teachings does he bring up exactly that? He tells the parable of the great banquet. All is ready. He goes out to, to bring them in to everyone who had been invited. And they're like, ah, I got things to do, places to go, people to see. Busyness itself can cause us to lose the goal, to fall off. Yeah, Ben. The phone. All right, so go ahead and just put it on the ground and stomp on it right now. Hey, all right, I like this. Yeah, so again, T.S. Eliot said, distracted from distraction by distraction. He said that 80 years ago. Distracted from distraction by distraction has not gotten better. Correct. But if it wasn't the phone, Ben, we'd find something else, right? We'll, we'll invent some new thing to, to lead us astray. Yeah. Loneliness, just being by yourself Loneliness. and not having yes. anyone to feed you. Yes, yes. Yeah, loneliness, isolation. And again, Satan just plays on that. He wants to, to prick and prod us away from, from the group. He wants to keep us isolated rather than having that, that strength in numbers. Uh, last year or two years ago, uh, Frankfurt, the Frankfurt School um, did a, a play of the Jungle Book. And the, the re recurring refrain in the Jungle Book is the, the strength of the pack is the wolf, and the strength of the wolf is the pack, right? Strength of the pack is the wolf, and the strength of the wolf is the pack. It's both of those things, the, the individual together in that body, in that group. So we have this idea then, this picture of the church on a journey, on the sojourn of faith. No man left behind. No man left behind. We need to continue to look after one another. You see somebody, you notice a pew because you Lutherans always sit in the same spots. You notice, oh, wait a second, so-and-so's spot in the pew has been open for a few weeks. Give them a call. Say, Pastor, that's your job. I know, I'm after it too. I do my best. But listen, you don't have to wait for a pastor to do it. You can get in on it too. We're together as a, as a church in that way. Yeah, Bob. Yeah, in those years of pastoring, I had more than one parishioner who um, carried in his or her heart the sin that they could not forgive, mm. that they didn't think God could forgive. Carrying in your heart that sin that and you think God can't forgive. Yeah. It, just, it just was too big in their mind for God to forgive it, yep. whether they could or not. And they carried it silently, yep. and too often unintended. Right. The church didn't help them. Right. Um, and they just thought they would be on the grace of God. Yeah. Those sins, it, it could be something trivial, it could be something great. But left unaddressed and untreated, not brought out into the light, becomes that wedge between a believer and their Lord. And just over time, it can just open up more and more. Satan wants to exploit that. And what we do when we forgive and when we're able to be <coughs> truly honest and vulnerable, vulnerable about our failures not just in general, yeah, I'm a sinner, but like the specific things, that stuff that you really are ashamed of. When we're able to confess that and get it out into the open, Christ takes that wedge right out and closes that gap, brings us back to God. You know, one of the ways that we're able to experience that, 
um, is through individual confession and absolution. And as Lutherans, we don't talk about this a whole lot. We think, oh, that's kind of a Catholic thing. You're sitting in the, you know, the, the confession booth, and here it's Reformation Day, Pastor, and you're bringing us back to medieval Catholicism. What, how dare you? It's not that way at all. Even in our, our Lutheran confessions, it talks about the gift of private absolution. That's what it, the focus is on. Not that any of you would come to me and you say, oh, here, Pastor, is this specific sin that I'm struggling with, this thing that is on my heart, and I, and I you know, kind of tisk tisk you, I make you feel ashamed, and then I send you away doing a bunch of Hail Marys or something like that. <laughs> the point is that when we're able to actually get that stuff, when we're able to, to turn over the log and to see those squiggly things, let them see the light of day, and to encounter the forgiving love of our Lord in that, because it's always there, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, Christ will shine on you, Ephesians 5, that's a promise. You, you let those squiggly things come to the light of day, and then, just like in the painting today, Christ stops it. It's done. It's gone. So I encourage you, if there is a sin, like Bob says, that is lodged in your heart, that keeps you up at night, that Satan still wants to needle you with, come and talk to me, and you will hear and receive the forgiving love of God for you. Done. Deal. This is why pastors take vows and why even if you get called into court, I mean, it's like, it's a serious sort of thing. The district presidents can give us more of the details how those things work. But it's a serious, serious thing. The seal, you come and talk to your pastor. You've got something on your heart. You're forgiven. And like Elaine Bennis says, it goes in the vault, right? It goes in the vault. It's, it's forgotten. It's gone. All right. That was just a little commercial there, I guess. But... I, <laughs> It's overlooked, and it's a neglected gift of God. It really is, you guys. It, it doesn't really have to be something terrible either. It doesn't have to be something. No. It doesn't have to be. In the, in the Luther movie, which you know, I might have to, to dust off for Reformation Day, the one from a few years ago, and Luther, there's a great scene. Luther's tortured again about his sins, and then his um, confessor, his father confessor, Johannes von Staupitz, comes in. He says, Martin. You have not confessed anything remotely interesting for two years. <laughs> it doesn't have to be remotely interesting. The things that keep us at night, up, us up at night many times are things that it's like, oh, really? Okay, yeah, it's done. It's forgiven. Okay. Questions or thoughts, reflections about that? A little bit of a digression there, but I think it, it's, it's worth saying. So then faith. Faith is that glue, number two, that bonds God's people to one another and to his promised rest. It says, good news, verse two, verse, good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard didn't benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Um, a key point, key teaching of the, of the Reformation, again, was critiquing this idea of ex opere operata, right? There's all these good Latin phrases. This is, this is one that's worth knowing that you can just kind of break out every once in a while. Ex opere operato. What does that mean? It means by the work itself, by means of the work itself. One of the things that Luther wanted to critique, and I think very much in keeping with especially the prophetic tradition in the Old Testament, is this idea that, well, just by showing up to church, like they would ring the bell, and even if you just turned and faced the church while you're out in the fields, that was considered a meritorious work. They would ring the bell. At the time, there was the consecration of the host, you turn, you face the church bell, and you get, you know, it's like half credit, like on the test when you're in elementary school. You get half credit for that. You get full credit if you actually show up. 
and hear the whole thing, um, just by the work itself, ex opere operato. And, and, and Luther and the other reformers say, in keeping with the scriptures, wait a second, no, it doesn't benefit you apart from faith. Faith is that glue that bonds you to God, and indeed that bonds us to one another as the, as the body of Christ. It's not merely going through the motions. Right? It's having a heart that believes, that trusts in what God has done. So Luther says, these three, faith, the word, and the heart, become one. Faith is the glue or the bond. The word is on one side, the heart is on the other side, but through faith they become one spirit, just as man and wife become one flesh. So close is that kinship and that, that union. So then the Sabbath provides, what does the Sabbath give to us even now? As we enter into God's rest, the Sabbath provides a foretaste of our future heavenly rest. God has given us this gift. It's rooted in his grace. It re refers back to our redemption, to creation, to his work of sanctification. But it also looks forward to that future day when we will be at rest in his presence eternally. Next Sunday, All Saints Day, uh, we'll be singing this hymn, no doubt, number 672, uh, Jerusalem the Golden. Jerusalem the Golden, with milk and honey blessed, the promise of salvation, the place of peace and rest. We know not, oh, we know not, what joys await us there, the radiance of glory, the bliss beyond compare. The place of peace and rest. So when we live in that Sabbath mood now, we already are getting a foretaste of the future rest in heaven. It's what we look forward to. All right, reflections or questions so far about this rest. The preacher's got more to say about it. It's not just wh what is it that keeps us from embracing this rest or what allows us to have it, faith. But now he's going to talk about when do we enter this rest. When do we enter this rest? So verses 6 through 8. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. All right, so here, when do we enter this rest? It's interesting how it says uh, how God's promise of rest has spanned the ages. You see these three time frames at work in, in these verses. So it says, first of all, um, that it remains for some to enter it and those who formerly received the good news. So um, literally it says, says those who first received the good news. So going all the way back to the Israelites in the wilderness. And then he says, long afterward, those words from David, so the Israelites of, of David's day, quoted in Psalm 95. Then it says he's appointed another day, today. And this is where he's driving toward, today. This is where we live. We live in the present. We live in the open enrollment period of God's today. Okay, what's, the, what's an open enrollment period? I'm using kind of an analogy there from insurance. Your open enrollment period is, is what? Medicare right now. Medicare. Oh, is it Medicare right now? <laughs> like, Pastor, is this a subtle hint, or what are you trying to say? Um, okay, so you have, I didn't realize that. So you've got an open enrollment period until when is it, December? December. December. Okay, I didn't go to the workshop, I guess. Yeah. But, um, so during that open enrollment period, you're able to 
Enroll. You can get in, right? Um, this is kind of the, the picture that we have is that now we live in God's today. We live in this open enrollment period for the kingdom of God. Now, don't, don't press that analogy too far and say, wait a second, so we can enroll ourselves? Doesn't God have to call us and he enrolls? Okay, don't overthink this, okay? But just in that surface sort of level, we live in this open enrollment time of God's today that spans from the ascension of Christ, the coming of the Holy Spirit, until the day when Jesus returns. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And I uh, mentioned there that 2 Peter reading too. In 2 Peter, Paul, or Peter says, uh, why is it that God is so slow, at least as some consider slowness? Do you remember his answer? Is God being slow? Why is, what's taking him so long? He's patient. He's patient. Patient with what? With who? Well, with us. What does he want? All his children. He wants all, he wants all to come to repentance. God's keeping this open enrollment period, or to change the analogy, it's sort of like, oh, I, I hate to do this, but soccer. Okay? <clears throat> soccer has this thing called stoppage time. I don't know a lot about soccer, but I know about this. Stoppage time, where it's like they get to the end of the half. This is another one of the reasons why soccer is a ridiculous game, but that's a topic for another day. But <laughs> you think the game's over, it's not over. They're like, oh, wait, we've got more time. And they, they call it stoppage time. It just keeps, keeps going. Well, I say that. I shouldn't badmouth soccer because I'm going to use this now to connect to God's kind of... He's got us living in stoppage time, right? By rights, Christ already could have come and said, that's it. The curtain has fallen. The fact that he hasn't reflects the patience, loving kindness of God, that we're still living in the, that stoppage time. He's keeping that open enrollment, mixing my metaphors here, because he wants all to come to that knowledge of the truth. He's, he's keeping it open as long as he can. He wants to see more people repent and come to him. That's when we live, in God's today. That's when we are right now. But the admonition then, for all of us, and for our friends, our neighbors, our family members who don't know the Lord, is to recognize, number three on the handout there, a day is coming when the door to God's rest will close. We don't like to talk about this. The day is coming when the door to God's rest will close. Ask, seek, knock, and the door will be open to you. Until one day, as Jesus tells it in the parable of the wise and foolish virgins in Matthew 25. Afterward, the other virgins, the foolish ones, came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. There's always an urgency to the coming of God's kingdom and the call to repent. There always is. That's what the, the street corner preacher was, is right in this. I'd question some of his methods, but he's right to, to remind us of the urgency of God's summons and his call. Repent. Repent. Psalm 32. Call on him while he is near. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. Recognize that we live in, in God's today. Now for us as believers... That means in the first of Martin Luther's 95 theses that he posted on the Wittenberg door, when our Lord Jesus said, repent, he meant for the whole life of the Christian to be one of repentance. The whole life. Every day we wake up and we live into that repentance or what it says in the small catechism, dying to the old Adam, rising again to the new life. It's a daily habit, a daily practice. Uh, but it, it's a challenge and a summons to us. 
That's when we live in the today. <clears throat> so we could ask similarly, like, why do, why do folks fall off the, the path? I think many of those same reasons obtain when we talk about why is it that we get lost, we lose sight of, of the urgency of things. And, I mean, we just get caught up, right? You get caught up with the, the day-to-day life. You get caught up with day after day, and you forget that it's today. It's God's today. It's a challenge for all of us. Thoughts about today, the when to enter God's rest. All right. Uh, just a question. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Hans. In the Catholic Church, they were, were selling indulgences, mm-hmm. as I just mentioned. Was that a denial for to, to get into that rest? Because I've already got that piece of paper in my hand. Yeah, right. I don't... Well, so, yeah, it's interesting you asked that. So Hans asked, you know, the precipitating factor for Luther, for the reformers, was the sale of indulgences. And the indulgences was kind of a get-out-of-purgatory-free card is really what it was, right? That you could, you could uh, trim off some years of your future purgatorial time um, by buying one of these indulgences. And that's where it's interesting because purgatory itself, you had not yet made it to God's promised rest, right? You're still just in the way station, right? I mean... Doesn't that just sound beautiful? Who doesn't love staying in a waiting room for hundreds of years? Like, is it my time yet? No, sorry, still, still not there. Um, so if you could trim off a little bit of that time with some indulgences, you'd say, yeah, great, okay, whatever, whatever I got to do. Um, but instead, this, this proclamation of the gospel comes, boom, and says, no, there's no purgatorial waiting. What makes you holy, what makes you fit to enter the kingdom of God Flesh and blood cannot inherit it, but except for the flesh and blood of Christ. You're yoked to him. You're united with him. Now we have that promise. We, we do not pass go, right? We do not pay $200. We go right into our heavenly home when we die or when Christ comes again. So, yeah, I think indulgences just kind of really muddled this whole vision of when, the time frame, the time scale on it. And then I think it kind of took away some of the urgency of it, right? Nah, okay, maybe I'll go to purgatory. I'm going there anyway. What's another year or two in purgatory at this point? I think now with the understanding of, the, of law and gospel, we recognize both the urgency and the, the freedom in Christ. Yeah, Bob. Um, years ago, when we were overseas in the Philippines, we had a group of Christians called Sabbatistas, basically Seventh-day Adventists here. Oh, okay. And really troubled the congregations in my station with the necessity of... Saturday yeah. being the Sabbath, and that they had to keep the Sabbath. Right. And deeply troubled them because suddenly this rest sense was now a good work yes. that you had to do. Yeah. But the only thing that got them over that hump was to stop looking at this as a day and start looking at it as a person. Yes. That the Lord Jesus Himself is your Sabbath. Yes. Rest. Yes. And so there's nothing other than him that you look to for rest. Yes. So even indulgences is an idol at that point. Yeah. Because it's taking your eyes off of the one true Lord. That's exactly right. So the Sabbath and you know, you can get into that question, when is the when is the Sabbath? Has it why did it change from Saturday to Sunday? And it all kind of misses the point because Christ is Lord of the Sabbath. He is the one who says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Rest. The Son of God is Sabbath incarnate. The Son of God is Sabbath incarnate. He is our rest. And so Saturday, Sunday, we keep the Lord's Day because it's the day of the, of the resurrection. It's significant. It's important. 
but ultimately, it's fulfilled in him. Yeah. Sandy, I know you wanted well, to say it. Yeah. I'm just with the Seventh-day Adventists, part of uh, what's confusing for them is that they don't believe that we have an immaterial spirit. Oh, interesting. And so rest uh, is a very physical It's a very thing. physical thing. Yeah. Okay. So, so I mean, yeah. what they're peddling is not rest. It's not rest. Yeah. So Sandy said, I, I didn't know this, that uh, Seventh-day Adventists don't believe in an immaterial spirit. It's just that physical side of things. That makes sense, too, with the emphasis on diet and all the, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. There is no rest, yeah. right? No rest for the wicked. We just <laughs> continue to, to live in that toil. The invitation in Christ, come to me and I will give you rest. So how do we enter that rest? Last section here, verses 9 to 11, that we'll cover today. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest, it's a beautiful phrase, whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Enter into his rest. In my mind, we're not too far now from Advent. It's going to be just around the corner. It actually starts in November this year. But I just think of those words that we hear every Advent from uh, Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Comfort my people. The strife is over. The victory is won. Enter into his rest. So just a couple of thoughts on this. First of all, we hopefully await the rest of God's rest. We await it with hope. Romans 8 says, In this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. There remains a rest. We live in the foretaste of that rest already now by faith in Christ, but there's still a greater rest yet to come. Secondly, by faith, God's people can rest from the work and the works of self-salvation. This is the key point. Romans 9.16 says, So then it depends not of him who wills or runs, but on God who has mercy. It's not up to our toil. It's not up to our working. The grace of God, I should have brought this great quote from, from Robert Farrar Capon, Episcopalian theologian. He's got a quote about Reformation, a Reformation. He says, Reformation is the day when, when we found buried in the attic of medieval Christianity this 200-proof grace <laughs> that has to be drunk neat, no ice, he says, and that will convince anybody who has even a sip of it that you and I were saved before we even made our way home, that it's a flat, one-handed gift of God. It doesn't depend on him who wills or runs, but on God who has mercy. And Jesus' words from the cross, John 19.30, it is finished. Not it's mostly done. Not I got it started for you guys. It is finished. Comfort. Comfort my people as we enter into his rest. Now, then the preacher seems to take away what he gives, but I think that this is a salutary word because he says, therefore, let us strive to enter that rest. 
Wait a second, that sounds like, so which is it, rest or work? It's a working rest, a restful work? Yes, right? Entering God's rest means neither idleness nor toil. We live in that tension. In this age, until the, the full coming of the kingdom of God, we live in this tension of working to rest, resting to work, that back and forth, that rhythm that we identified at the very beginning from Genesis 1. We live out of God's rest, but still he's called us to serve our neighbor, to work that way. Luther says in the large catechism, reflecting on the third commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, he says the force and power of this third commandment lies not in the resting, but in the sanctifying, so that a special holy exercise belongs to this day. Holy exercise. There you go. That's what we're talking about, this restful work, this active rest. And Joseph Pieper, a, a Catholic philosopher and theologian, he wrote this book called Leisure, the Basis of Culture. And he speaks of acedia, which is that idleness, that slothfulness. He says the opposite of acedia is not the industrious spirit of the daily effort to make a living, but get this, you guys, rather the cheerful affirmation by man of his own existence, of the world as a whole, and of God. So the opposite of idleness is not just, you know, hustling, as people often say in our world today. The opposite of that idleness, that acedia, that slothfulness, is a cheerful affirmation that it's good to be alive. That cheerful affirmation, the amen to existence. God has made me and given me good gifts to use in service to others, to chop wood, right? Whatever good things he might put before me. It's a cheerful affirmation that something exists rather than nothing, that God has made me. Why did the frog jump, the, the old uh, parable says? Because, God, you've given me such joy in jumping. That's how it is for each and every one of us, a cheerful affirmation of being. That's the reality that we live into. That's the, the working restfulness and the restful working that we live out of. So let me give you then some practical kind of takeaways here. Because Sabbath rest takes practice. Again, it's counterintuitive. What do you mean? Isn't it just I turn on Netflix and lounge on my couch? Maybe sometimes that can be restful, but I don't know. I, I don't think that that is truly a regenerative kind of rest. Nothing wrong with it from time to time. But true rest takes practice, takes some deliberateness. First of all, it means worship. You guys know this, you're here. But worship, to come and to receive from God. Maintaining that, that weekly and even more often habit to receive from him. Second one, become saints. That's not a typo how it's written there. But this is an acronym that I got uh, from my buddy Ken Fay. Ken, if you're listening to this, thank you. Um, Sunday afternoon is nap time. Saint. We ought to become saints. Take a nap, you guys. The world is still going to continue going. Cass, you're making me tired just running around. Take a nap, my man. No. <laughs> well, yeah. He's good. So become saints. Sunday afternoon is nap time. It's a good and salutary thing. And then go and cut your wood. Thirdly, create buffer in your calendar. Um, in his book, Essentialism, the author Greg McCown, he encourages you, as you're, if you're a kind of person who you know, does a calendar, who writes stuff down, it's a good thing. But he says, take however long you think something is going to take you and add 50%. 
said, okay, you think that this meeting, this appointment is going to take you an hour? Budget an hour and a half for it. It's going to take three hours. Give it four and a half or even longer than that. He says, even, even double it. The reason being, we live with such small buffer, such small margin in our lives. This is part of why we're running around with our hair on fire, so busy all the time. Like, I got to go from this to this to this. And you retired folks are the worst. You know you are. I talk to you guys like, Pastor, I'm sorry, I'm not free. I've got an appointment. I got this thing. Create that buffer, that margin. Yeah, let's see. Well, one of the things I tell people like, who are working, and I say, you know, take a day off. Come up and see us or whatever. Right. Well, I can't. Right. You know, but I say, wait a minute. If you were to die today, Oof. tomorrow, yeah. they've got somebody else in your job. Yeah, right. So, you know, yeah. you're not irreplaceable. You're not irreplaceable. Yeah, you're not ind indispensable. I, I get it, especially you're a small business kind of person, what have you. Uh, but I think this recognition, like, you know what? I can rest. I can put that buffer into my schedule. If you don't do it, nobody else is going to do it for you. It's just the reality. You don't do it, nobody else is going to do it for you. Put it in there. And conversely, if you do put it in there, um, uh, Eugene Peterson, great pastor Eugene Peterson, he points this out. He says, this is the one sacrosanct thing in our society. If somebody says to you, hey, I need you to do this, that, or other, the other thing, you know, on Tuesday. And you're like, oh, well, you know what? I was actually going to spend some um, special time with my spouse. You could do that anytime. But if you say, oh, my calendar won't allow it. They say, oh, gosh, okay, sorry, I understand. Your calendar won't allow. That's the one sacrosanct thing. That, so you just say, uh, you know what? My calendar won't allow. Even if it says on your calendar, sit around with Jesus for three hours. You know? You don't have to tell them that. My calendar won't allow. All right. Uh, thirdly, fourthly, I don't know. Um, make use of old media. Okay, now we're going to bring out Cranky Pastor. Here comes Cranky Pastor. Uh, where's my soapbox? i got to step Old media. Paper newspapers. Part of the reason that we're so distracted and frustrated and all this stuff is because we've got the constant news cycle, whether it be on the, the cable news stuff, and everything is breaking news. We're just breaking from breaking news. We've got breaking news to break from the breaking news. You can't even keep up with it anymore, right? Even newspapers themselves, it used to be weekly or whenever they needed it. There wasn't this assumption that news was happening every day. You know, it was like, oh, look, when we get around to it. But now it's like, no, every day something is happening. Read our Manistee newspaper. It cracks me up sometimes, the things that are on the front page. Like, I, God bless them. But it's like, really, this is, this is news? It's like, well, I don't know, we have to come out every day. Um, but even that, that's better than just living in that constant, frantic, frenetic cycle of you know, social media, online stuff, all of that. Just upping the temperature all the time. Oh, and then, oh, so, sorry, go ahead, sweetie. Read it when it was a day old or something. Oh! Which we often do because that's how long it takes our newspaper to get to us. Another one of the uh, hidden blessings in Arcadia. We get our we get our weekend paper on Tuesday. <laughs> and so you know, it just it brings the temperature down a little bit. It does put perspective on things. You're like, oh wait, meteor's gonna hit us tomorrow. Oh, I guess it didn't. Okay, we're good. <laughs> Point. So old media, old forms, and maybe literally old papers. And along with this, you know I'm going to keep beating this, beating this drum, is ditch the smartphones, okay? 
Uh, ben already took the lead on us for, for us on that. Um, I have now uh, transferred from my just old-fashioned flip phone to a thing called the light phone. This is not a commercial. They're not um, paying for this Bible study. But um, there's, there's things now, as people have recognized what a problem it is. The phone, some of you guys have seen my phone. It's got a phone, text messages, music and podcasts, and that's it. And, you know, I'm already losing my sanity, but it's helped me to hold on to it just a little bit more, right? Consider it, you guys. I can't live without it. I've never known anything otherwise. That's a lie. It came out in 2007. We can go back in time, all right? Don't tell me you always had it. I know you're important, but unless, like, they're, about, they're calling you, you know, doctor, we've got a heart surgery patient. We need you right now. They used to have the pagers, right? Oh. We're, all, we're all surgeons now. We've all got it strapped to us at all times because you never know. I'm not saying don't have a cell phone at all, but the smartphone, it's not, it's not good. It's not good. So think about it. If you want to come in and talk to me about it, I'd be happy to do that. Last one, learn the art of the graceful no. Maybe you need to do that right now. You're like, Pastor, no. Um, but the graceful no, just sometimes being able to, to say when you get asked to do things, even by yours truly, uh, to say thank you so much. I appreciate that. I just, I don't, I don't have the, the bandwidth for it right now, right? I just, my, my plate is full. It's okay to say that sometimes. It's okay. Unless you're Becky or my wife, in which case, whatever I tell you to do, you must do. Sorry, my calendar doesn't no, no. <laughs> I deserve everything I get. That no is really important. It is. Oh, Priscilla does a graceful no. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying be a jerk. And and no, but but because she is able to do a graceful no and is very comfortable with it, yep. yes means yes. Yes. And she scolds me regularly, you overcommit. You always say yes, and then you can't fulfill your commitments. Yes. And that's wrong. That's so exactly right. Know what? what you really can do and can't do, and be honest about yeah. it. Yeah, so that you can give your best yes. That's exactly so right. So I gracefully told her no. <laughs> <laughs> and I look forward to our counseling visit later. So. <laughs> you can see how it works. <laughs> I've got my sympathetic wound for Bob here up above my brow. You know. All right, I'll close with this. Sorry to, to go long here. I know you guys are looking forward to your Sunday afternoon nap. Um, once more from our old friend Wendell Berry, his poem, Sabbath Mood. When we work well, a Sabbath mood rests on our day and finds it good. Listen to this. Whatever is foreseen in joy must be lived out from day to day. Vision held open in the dark by our 10,000 days of work. Harvest will fill the barn, for that the hand must ache, the face must sweat, and yet no leaf or grain is filled by work of ours. The field is tilled and left to grace, that we may reap, great work is done while we're asleep. When we work well, a Sabbath mood rests on our day and finds it good. Amen. <laughs>